1: A reading from the Gospel of John. Now before the festival of the Passover, Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart from this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And during supper, Jesus, One who has bathed does not need to wash except for the feet, but is entirely clean. And you are clean, though not all of you. For he knew who was to betray him. For this reason he had said, Not all of you are clean. After he had washed their feet, had put on his robe, and had returned to the table, he said to them, Do you know what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right for that is what I am. So if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have set you an example that you also should do as I have done to you. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their master, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God.
0: Imagine knowing your fate. What would you do? Would you try to change it? Would you embrace it? One of my favorite movies is Stranger Than Fiction. Now in full disclosure, I am going to give away some spoilers. I am sorry. In the film, author Karen Eiffel is writing a fictional story about Harold Crick. But what she does not know is that Harold Crick is a real human being. Everything she's writing about him is actually happening. He hears her voice in his head as she types each word. She writes about him brushing his teeth as he is doing it. And he describes it to his psychologist, and she's worried that the voice is telling him to do things. And he refutes it by saying, no, 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 the voice doesn't tell me what to do. It's narrating what I am doing with a much better vocabulary. But what truly troubles Harold is that as he is brushing his teeth, the narrator in his head says, little did he know that this simple, seemingly innocuous act would result in his imminent death. The voice is telling him, the narrator is telling him that he will die. He knows that his hour is coming. So eventually he is able to locate the author, Karen Eiffel, and begs her to not kill him off. Please don't let me die, he says to her. She had not finished writing the story, but had some notes on how it would end. She hands Harold the manuscript and the notes, and he reads it in one sitting. For hours, he rides the bus reading and reading. He comes back to Miss Eiffel, and he tells her, you have to finish the story. It's beautiful. In John's gospel, Jesus knows his fate. The next few chapters are centered around his betrayal, arrest, and crucifixion. Just as Harold Crick knew that the story was leading to his death, Jesus knew that his hour was coming. Did he know this all along? Maybe he knew that his subversive and revolutionary words and actions would lead to his death. But here in the Gospel of John, it says that God has given everything into his hands. So what does Jesus do knowing that his death is coming? He has a meal with his his disciples. He has a meal with his friends. And during the meal, he gets up and he fills a basin with water and begins to wash his disciples' feet. Now, I'm pretty sure I've admitted this in a sermon before, but I do enjoy a good pedicure every now and then. Yet when I think about it, getting my feet washed by a stranger, well, that is an entirely bizarre thing. It's kind of awkward. I try not to make much conversation with the person taking care of my feet, because then it just gets weird. I know what they are doing is kind of gross, so I'd rather talk to my wife, April, or flip through my phone so that I can pretend that something else is happening. And yet in this passage, we see Jesus wash the feet of his disciples. And it is awkward. Jesus isn't supposed to be doing that. Jesus is the leader of his disciples, and on that same night that he's arrested, he washes their feet. Their feet are probably dirty. After walking around in sandals or perhaps in no footwear whatsoever, you are sure to have filthy feet. Now foot washing was done for hygiene's sake. And some households would send their servants to greet the guests with a bowl of water to have their feet cleaned as a sign of hospitality. This is certainly not Jesus' job. And this is why I think Peter freaks out about this. I wonder if his problem, if Peter's problem was not about getting his feet washed, but I wonder if his problem was with his leader being the one to clean clean his feet. So why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus take on the role of a servant? The answer is in the passage. Jesus does this out of love. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end, it says. Jesus knows that his hour is coming. He knows his imminent death is approaching real soon. And what does he do with the bit of time that he has left? He has a meal with the people he loves. And he takes the place of a servant and gets down on his hands and feet. And he washes his disciples' feet. And here's the part that always gets me in the passage. He washes his Judas feet. He knows Judas will betray him. And Judas is included when it says, Jesus loved them to the end, which can also be translated, Jesus loved them fully. Jesus loved Judas fully. After the foot washing ceremony, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment. Love one another as I have loved you. The commandment comes at the heart of Maundy Thursday. And what is Maundy Thursday? Why do we gather on this part of Holy Week? A silly reference I've seen to Maundy Thursday comes from a tweet from Jesus Christ. Referencing the Bengal song, Manic Monday, Jesus tweeted, It's just another Maundy Thursday. I wish it was Sunday, because that's my fun day. Now, mandi comes from the Latin word for mandatum, or commandment. Today, we contemplate Jesus' love for his disciples and us, but we are also reminded of the mandatum, the commandment that Jesus has for us to love one another. And the commandment is so essential that Jesus says it three times. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you should love one another. By this they will know that you are my disciples, if you have loved one another. Now this commandment may sound simple, and it is simple, but it certainly is not easy. Loving one another is messy, awkward, and tough. Loving one another can be shown and felt in the nitty-gritty details like washing someone's feet. Sometimes saying we just need to love one another is said in a, in, in a cop-out kind of way. I think you know what I'm talking about. Perhaps in a heated and uncomfortable discussion, someone well-intentioned might say, let's just stop the bickering and love one another. Yet in between the lines, what is really being said is, let's pretend the issue does not exist and be nice to each other. That would be the easy thing. Love asks us to to do something way more uncomfortable. Love asks us to look at one another in the eye and dare to love them as we want to be loved ourselves. But the truth is that we want to be fully seen and embraced as we are. And it's hard to be our whole authentic self because we fear that people might not love our quirks, our personality, our background, and our gifts that we can offer the world. So of course, it's tough to love other people when we fear rejection for ourselves. Peter at first did not want Jesus to wash his feet. And again, we don't know fully why. I wonder if it it was just the feeling of being uncomfortable to get his feet washed by his leader. But I also wonder if he cannot fathom the kind of grace and love that Jesus is showing him. I wonder if he thought that he was not worthy of love. I wonder if in the process of following the commandment to love one another, we must also learned, we must also learn that we are also indeed loved. The band Sleeping at Last captures this in their song, too. They sing, "I don't even know where to start, already tired of trying to recall when it all fell apart. And I just want to love you. I want to love you to love you well. I just want to learn how somehow to be loved myself. Friends, as you hear the commandment to love one another, may you also hear the good news that you are indeed loved. And through the grace of God, you are enough and you belong. You may not always believe that or feel that, but ingrain that in your heart. When all you hear are lies, may you be reminded of that truth, that you are deeply loved. May that love transform us in a way that we love other people with a sense of curiosity. Love has the capacity to do the unthinkable and the unwantable. Twenty years after the Rwandan genocide, where nearly a million people were killed, Journalists visited Rwanda to learn some of the stories of reconciliation between the Hutus and the Tutsis. The project was called Portraits of Reconciliation. And part of this project ended up in the New York Times where it describes the scene of some of the participants. The people who agreed to be photographed are part of a continuing national effort towards reconciliation and work closely with a nonprofit organization. In the program, small groups of Hutus and Tutsis are counseled over many months culminating in the perpetrator's formal request for forgiveness. If forgiveness is granted by the survivor, the perpetrator and his family and friends typically bring a basket of offerings, usually food and banana beer. The cord is sealed with song and dance. As I read these stories of reconciliation, I wonder how genuinely uncomfortable and messy and awkward these interactions were. This was not, let's just stop the bickering and love one another. But here, love looked like truth-telling. Love helped recognize hurt and confess hurt. Love helped turn enemies into friends. I was struck by what the participants in Survivor Epiphany said. Epiphany is on the right in this photograph, and she said, He killed my child. Then he came to ask me pardon. I immediately granted it to him because he did not do it by himself. He was haunted by the devil. I was pleased by the way he testified to the crime instead of keeping it in hiding because it hurts if someone keeps hiding a crime he committed against you. Before, when I had not yet granted him pardon, he could not come close to me. I treated him like my enemy, but now I would rather treat him like my own child. Love is hard. Loving our family can be complicated. Loving our friends can be messy at times. Loving the stranger is inconvenient. Loving our enemies is perhaps one of the hardest things we can do. Loving ourselves can at times feel impossible. Yet that is the commandment from our Savior, to love one another the way Christ has loved us. Part of the commandment is that we recognize that we in fact are loved. Love one another as I have loved you, Jesus says. Love one another because you are loved as well. Perhaps in loving one another we find the belovedness in ourselves. And what better place to love one another and be reminded of that, that at Christ's table. Here at the table all are welcome. At Christ's table, everyone not only has a place, but a voice at the table. At the table, people experience belonging. At the table, we love one another, and we are loved as well. Friends, on the night that Jesus knew his fate, what did he do? He had a meal with his friends, and he loved them fully, and commanded them to love another. Thank God. Amen. Beloved, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord be kind and gracious to you. May the Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.